You're listening to the Sugarcane Podcast, where you get all of crypto's tastiest tidbits. Here's your hosts, Sheldon Trotman and Rudy Dogan. Welcome to another week about crypto and blockchain. Nice. And this time we're talking about something that we need to do in this ecosystem in order to <laughs> succeed, which is scale. Scalability is important. And Sheldon, how important mm-hmm. is scalability? Very. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, if we're trying to it really is. scale this, it is 100%. <laughs> if we're trying to scale this really to like, honestly, the, the world, um, we need to start competing and getting to the place where the technology can be used like Visa or used like MasterCard, where they have tens of thousands of transactions per second globally. Um, right now, we can barely even scratch the surface of that. So scalability is huge for that. That's really amazing about crypto, what was happening in like Bitcoin, Ethereum, pretty much all of them. As soon as they started to scale, a lot of issues started showing up. With Bitcoin, yep. it was slow transactions. You can barely pay anybody because it was just so slow and unusable. With yep. Ethereum, gas fees are remarkably high. You can spend hundreds of dollars to buy an NFT. It yep. just was showing flaws in the current systems. When they first came out, it was, oh, you can transfer you know, a thousand Bitcoin, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin for a couple of pennies. Now it's a little more expensive with Ethereum, same yep. thing. So these issues are real issues. And I definitely want to know a little bit more about like, you know, why is scalability so crucial? Yes. Yeah, so like the, the reality is that like, uh, the ways in which we do use blockchain right now, is pretty specific to the particular chain, right? Like if you're transacting on, let's say using Bitcoin, you're using pretty much the Bitcoin blockchain. And again, things are very slow there. And also people start transitioning to solutions like Lightning on, block, on Bitcoin specifically. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mainly for payments. Uh, but if you're talking about Ethereum, there's a bunch of different L2s or layer twos, they call them, uh, where they people are starting to move their assets to and transact on just because things are a lot faster there as well as a lot cheaper there. So that's kind of the ways in which um, the Ethereum, both Ethereum and Bitcoin are kind of scaling. We can dive into that a bit more if you want to. If you want to. Yeah, for sure. Because... That's that's what we're using now for Bitcoin. Lightning is being yep. developed. Ethereum is yep. getting their layer twos. And yep. I definitely want to understand, you know, what are the overview about these different solutions? Yeah, so I'll talk, first I'll start with um, Bitcoin because it's the really simplest uh, side of it. So Bitcoin, again, um, it's pretty slow to transact on, on, on the main Bitcoin blockchain. But if you're doing um, payments on the Bitcoin blockchain, people typically use Lightning. So Lightning Network, uh, kind of the way that that works is that you open up what's called like a payment channel. And so let's say I want to transact with you. We kind of open up a payment channel on the Lightning Network. And that allows us to transact with each other pretty quickly because the actual settlement, the actual moving of the, the kind of I sent you $5 down to the Bitcoin blockchain doesn't happen instantaneously. So like, let's say you, we went to dinner and I paid the bill. Oh, yeah. And nice. now you... Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took you out. Shall I take you out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So like if, if the bill, let's say it was like 10 bucks, right? And um, you owe me $10, we'd open up a payment channel on the Bitcoin blockchain and you'd basically have $10 worth of Bitcoin on the Lightning Network and you can send that to me. And so I currently keep that in the Lightning Network so it doesn't actually leave that. It doesn't go down to the Bitcoin blockchain. But I have essentially a payment receipt that you sent me that money, right? And so now let's say something happens and let's say I go out to dinner with another friend and let's say instead of, <laughs> me taking them out they took me out and so um 
I, and I still need to pay them, let's say $5. So out of the $10 that you sent me that's on the Lightning Network, I can take $5 from that and send that to that other person. So now essentially there's a payment channel between me and my other friend and me and you. So that's how we can like transact. And if, again, if my friend wants to transact with you, the way that that kind of works, it'd be that like, it'll use me as a hopping node. So like if they sent, let's say $3 to you, they basically send $3 to, through me to you. So it kind of like touch my node as, as it gets to you on lightning specifically. So that's kind of like those um, so like apps that are like an aggregator for all payments and kind of sum it up, summing it all up and then distributing what's left over kind of like Splitwise. If, if anyone's ever used Splitwise or yeah. an app like yeah. that, kind of you have like a Venmo pool. Even. Yeah. Where you have a mm-hmm. pool of all your friends who are making payments together and then mm-hmm. whatever is remaining is what's distributed again. That makes yeah. sense. And yep, yep. that's a, a DAP version of Splitwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's lightning. So then, that's how that works. And then how does uh, like layer twos work? Yeah. So now layer twos. So kind of a bit of a context. So lightning can only work for payments. You can only do that with like sending value, like money from one person to another. Mm-hmm. Um, now taking a step higher, a little, little more complex, are layer twos on Ethereum. So Ethereum allows you to do any kind of general purpose computation. So like if I wanted to I want to buy an NFT, for example, that's me sending money to a smart contract, the smart contract uh, associating a certain like NFT to me, to my ownership. Um, that's where you can do it on the Ethereum blockchain. And layer twos are a way which you can do that in a much more scalable, performant way. So like the way that that technically works is that there's a set of smart contracts that live on Ethereum that kind of function as like the, the, um, the storage of what's happening in a separate location. So what I mean by that is like, instead of, so it's kind of talk, talking more technically, if I want to interact with the, the Ethereum blockchain, I'd basically talk to an Ethereum node. But if I want to actually talk to a layer two, instead of talking to an Ethereum node, I talk to a layer two like node, a computer there. And then that then talks to the Ethereum blockchain for me on my behalf. And so the reason why that works is because now, instead of having everyone pay the kind of Ethereum cost to make a transaction on Ethereum, you talk to like kind of this separate party, a, a, a computer that then aggregates all the actions or all the activity in a certain period and then aggregates mm-hmm. that down and pushes that onto Ethereum, um, the main chain. So like it basically aggregates all the transactions and pays the cost of once for everyone. So now everyone gets basically like kind of a, a reduced cost for going to Ethereum. Makes sense. And... They're still using, like, in both cases, they're still using the main blockchain, which is Ethereum or Bitcoin, as their consensus mechanism, as their final. Yeah, what they call like the sediment layer, like the where all the base assets are settled. Gotcha. And yeah, are we sacrificing anything uh, in blockchain in our blockchain technology with scaling? Yeah. So um, the kind of caveat with the kind of Ethereum approach is that like instead of talking to Ethereum, where there's a bunch of different nodes across the world that all like uh, kind of secure the Ethereum blockchain, in the kind of layer two context, you're talking to a smaller set of nodes or computers that then aggregate everything together and push it down to the Ethereum main chain. And so with that, you get a lot um, less kind of, I hesitate to say security, but like, Mm -hmm. I'll talk more about why I said that, but like you talk to a specific set of computers that then are the ones that function to batch everything together and put them onto Ethereum. But there are cryptographic ways in which you as a user of a layer two can still, if, if the, let's say the layer two 
um, chooses not to like censors your transaction or chooses not to include your transaction, you can still take your transaction from the layer two and push it onto layer one, just because the main settlement still happens on the layer one. And so like, that's way, that's ways in which you can actually like still have the security of like, you're not getting censored um, because you just always have an exit uh, to layer one if you want to pay the gas and want to actually get to layer one still. So that's kinds of ways in which you can still get secure. Yeah, and there's multiple, like there's, there's a competition between layer twos, like Optimism, yeah. Arbitrum, and ZK is also uh, in there too. So those yeah. are the top three that I know of. I think there are more trying to Starkware. I think they're more yeah, trying to come out. But what are the trade-offs between, I guess, the top contenders? Yeah, so kind of they kind of fall into like two main buckets if you're talking about Ethereum in terms of like like rollups or layer twos. Um, one side of it, one flavor is called optimistic rollups, and so in that camp you find optimism, which is a pretty big optimistic rollup, Arbitrum, which is another huge. Um, <laughs> yeah, the name is kind of funny. Uh, yeah. The Arbitrum is also another one. Uh, Coinbase recently launched their base blockchain. That's also an optimistic flavored rollup um, or layer two, as people call it. And so those kind of one vertical, one kind of flavor of those. And the kind of trade-offs there is that um, gets, I'm going to get very, very technical real quick and I'm going to kind of work back up. So like the settlement period um, for in layer two on an optimistic flavored rollup it's typically seven days. And so what that means is that if you're interacting with anything on a layer two, on an optimistic rollup, typically you have to wait seven days for that kind of action to be kind of finalized, as they say. Um, and there's a lot of like security guarantees that come into play when you talk about that seven day waiting period, because if within that seven day period, someone figures out that like something occurred on the layer two that's invalid or false that shouldn't happen, they can then provide what's called a fault or fraud proof, basically to say that, hey, this action that occurred on the layer two um, shouldn't have happened. So like, I'll give it, give it a bit of context to that. It's like, let's yeah. say the the computer that you're talking to on the layer two on the optimistic rollup, right? Let's say that computer decides to say, instead of you, Rudy, sending me $5, let's say you, Rudy, um, it says that you sent me $10, right? That's something that it, it could like kind of make up just because it's the one like producing the state and pushing it down to Ethereum. And what I could do is if I, again, I didn't agree with that, something I saw was invalid, I can say, hey, here's the state that I signed. Here's the thing that I wanted to happen. And here's the thing that actually occurred. I can basically submit that to Ethereum um, on the main chain. And then within that seven day period, it gets reverted. So that, that thing that happened, that should have happened, should not have happened, gets reverted. So like, that's the way in which like, oh, wow. specifically optimistic rollups kind of protect themselves. They have a seven day waiting period. For anything, anyone to kind of dispute the claim that occurred in that seven day period. So it's a seven day like period of waiting, but you don't actually have to wait seven days to receive your funds via optimism, right? That's correct. Your so if you're transacting with anyone within optimism, op, uh, an optimistic rollup, you get it instantaneously. So you have pretty much like a, a instantaneous, instantaneous, um, you can kind of take them as instantaneous actions. Gotcha. But if you're trying to go from optimism down to Ethereum, like let's say there's some like, smart contract network that has a kind of lending plat product on optimism and you want to take your assets from optimism down to ethereum and actually use it on another kind of product on ethereum specifically um what will happen is that you kind of exit from the optimistic rollup so you take your five let's say you have five ether on optimism you can send a transaction on ethereum mainnet and get back your five ether but that kind of 
interaction, that'll take seven days for it to be resolved. Gotcha. There's a lot of solutions out there that actually can reduce the time it takes to, to get that. So you don't actually have to wait that seven day period, but again, kind of um, the optimistic flavor of rollups in that, in that context. That's pretty nifty. And yeah. it kind of does help the security side of things on the optimistic side. Yeah. And how about the Arbitrum side? No, so the now Arbitrum is also an optimistic rollup, but like in the kind of ZK flavor of ZK. So like um, some pretty popular ones are like Starkware. So Starkware is a pretty popular ZK um, layer two. They're technically not mm -hmm. ZK EVM. That's the kind of technical nuance that I could dive into as well. But like there's, um, there's uh, Starkware. Uh, there is uh, ZK Sync, which is a now up and coming um, ZK EVM. Uh, so that's another kind of ZK flavored rollup or layer two. I kind of keep saying like rollup and layer two because they're kind of synonymous in a sense. Yeah. There's there, there's a bit of nuance and technical nuance people kind of dive into as like nerds, but like for all intents and purposes, they're pretty much the same. <laughs> um, Just gotta imagine someone. Yeah. Rolling yeah. up all the transactions together, yeah, and then putting Custing it into everything. a block. That's literally what you have to think about, and it makes a lot more sense. Because it took me a while to figure that out. I'm like, oh yeah, you just like, you roll it up. Okay, I got it. Yeah, because like essentially everything has happened on layer two. You're rolling it up into one thing and pushing it down to the main chain. <laughs> so yeah, so those are a couple of ones, and kind of the technical details of how those work is that um. So ZK EVMs use what's called uh, ZK proofs or zero knowledge proofs to basically take all the actions that occurred on that chain and kind of in the same way, bundle them together and push that one kind of change down to the Ethereum blockchain. So Ethereum, again, is that kind of sediment layer. Here's where all the kind of final states live. But ZK, EV, ZK uh, layer twos, um, they have a much stronger like cryptographic proof to now, instead of having to wait that seven day period, you can actually take it as instantaneous. So like, there's a lot of like, I could dive into technical details of it, but like, uh, for the most part, it's a lot of like moon math and crazy complex cryptography <laughs> that allow you to take all the actions that occurred on a ZK EVM and bundle them together to make them um, on chain. Those are still very much in development mode and they're still coming out. Like only within the past like couple months have like a lot of teams really went live with their alpha version of their ZK EVMs. So. Still very nascent field in that context. And what's the um, meaning of zero knowledge in ZK? Yeah, uh, funny enough. Um, so the the ZK wording or ZK zero knowledge doesn't technically doesn't technically mean that there's like uh, privacy. There's no like like hundred percent like like zero knowledge of the actions that are occurred. It's more a function of like how the cryptography is done. Again, we can dive into some technical details, but like there's a type of technology called ZK snarks and ZK Starks that allow you to, to kind of prove that all these actions that occurred are kind of um, cryptographically proven, they're cryptographically secure. So yeah, it's more gotcha. of like a, a nuance of the naming of it rather than it being like something like that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. from what I read too, it's just mostly um, encrypting the transactions as they go along, just so it's not necessarily this address interacting with this person directly. It's more like this address is definitely done something with some amount of some money with something with maybe someone, with this person <laughs> over here, that's, it's all good between these two people. What happened between these two people, we don't know, but these two people are good. They're settled. Yeah. That's kind of like the idea. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. You can actually like make proofs, like, like actual like mathematical proofs about things occurring without knowing what the actual inputs that 
that uh, function were. It's, it's a very, again, complex moon math. I can dive into it, but uh, for the sake of this explanation. That's the fun part about all this stuff. It's like, well, the amount of math that goes into crypto cryptography <laughs> and cryptocurrencies and blockchain is amazing. It's just amazing how we can even think of that type of stuff as humans. And it's also amazing the people who are working on making that as behind the screens as possible and behind the shades. <laughs> it's like, it's it's like, okay, like I'm glad we have this tech, but I don't understand it, but I trust the people who are working on it. So <laughs> great. <laughs> How do I and, think about this less? <laughs> it's, it's tough. So yeah. then the last thing I want to know is like, how urgent is it that we find a solution for all these struggling layer twos and um, uh, scalability issues? Because yeah, we have good solutions now, but they're not perfect yet. And I guess, you know, how urgent is it that we find like that perfect solution? The the urgency is, is much less of like a kind of existential threat type thing, more like a, um, like the space is halted until, right? And so what I mean by that is like the space can't scale to the tens of thousands of millions to hopefully like 8 billion people in the world mm -hmm. uh, without having highly performant systems that don't break down, that are very secure. And so like in order for us to get to the point where we can have like, a visa type experience on chain, you can't, you have to have like kind of a, a kind of cryptographically secure system that uses layer twos and layer uses like other types of payment networks, reduce the time and cost. Yeah. I'm pumped for yeah. that. <laughs> we need it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, you can't stop thinking about once we were able to just use crypto and transactions and whatever else, as much as we can on the blockchain, as fast as we can, it's just an exciting time for me. and. Yeah. yeah, I've been waiting for it for over ten years now. So any any minute now, but you know, <laughs> any minute, <laughs> you won't believe how far we've come already, people. It's been an amazing Certainly. journey, and it's, it's only getting better. But yeah, mm -hmm. thank you again, Sheldon, because next week we got some more tasty okay. tidbits. The tastiest of tidbits. <laughs> <laughs>